Hi, everybody. Good morning. If I have not had the privilege to meet you yet, my name is Brooks. I serve as a life group pastor here at New Break, and really excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be in our series on Psalms, which will be really great. But first, I got to tell you, um, I'm a big dog person. Anybody in here a big dog, dog person? Yeah? I said that earlier, and someone's like, you like big dogs? I said, no, no, no. I like dog. I guess big. I, I, yeah. I like dogs. Some of them happen to be big, right? So when I was growing up as a kid, for some reason, I just had this like fascination with dogs. We had lots of dogs growing up. Um, I had a mixed bag of, of caring for dogs, though, so, okay? Because I can remember as a kid being dragged across the street by a dog. I can remember being terrified of dogs trying to bite me. And for some reason, I, I'm not a cat person. Anybody a cat person in this room? Anybody? I'm so glad I asked that question because I was going to say something about cats and I'm not going to say it now. So um, they're great. They're awesome. Um, matter of fact, for some reason, I don't know if you ever have this as like as a kid, you have memories. I had this memory that like we had 13 cats. I asked my mom the other day, why did we have 13 cats? She said, Brooks, we had one cat. What are you talking about? I thought we had 13 cats. I don't know. I I don't know why. I just had lots of alley cats or something by. But anyway, so my, my whole thing as a kid is I love to care for dogs. I love to like, if anyone asked me to pet their dog, I was all about it. And if anyone asked me to actually to watch their dogs while they were gone, oh, that was like, boom, I have arrived, right? So I can remember one time in particular, I was asked to watch a dog and a cat together. It was actually a dog that looked like this. It was a boxer, right? Boxers are great. They just have lots and lots and lots of energy. And I remember not realizing that dog, like that the boxer and the cat didn't like each other. I didn't know that until I started taking care of this animal. So one night I walked in and as I was walking in, the lights were out and I felt something come and I literally got, this cat came up and jumped on me with its nails and started dragging its nails down my leg. I had no idea that cats are active at night. Is that a thing? Cats are active at night? What's up with that? Like, it, I, I, I took the cat, and I literally, I had no shame. I threw it across the room, because it, it was locked into my leg. So I thought, you know what, this is, this is not good, you know, uh, as long as the animals are okay, that's fine. And then I, I turn on the light, and what do I see? But literally, the boxer and the cat had a fight inside the house while I was gone, and the dog was scratched up all over the place. He was like, his little muzzle had blood on it, his chest had all these scratches on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this dog almost like is, is getting attacked, almost killed by this cat. So I just thought, man, they're going to they're gonna not ever ask me to watch for their animals again. So I thought, okay, I know what I'll do. I'm going to take the dog and put it in a little girl's room to protect it from the cat at night. So I went in the next day, I opened up the girl's room, and literally all the girl's trophies were destroyed. All of her dolls, dollhouses broken apart. The dog was like literally like looped in a bunch of these trophies all around its leg. It got caught. It freaked out being in the girl's room. And so that day, the family came home, and the little girl was in her room. She starts screaming and crying because all of her stuff was destroyed. And the, it's hardly not to laugh. It's awful. And then the, then the dog comes like whimpering out. He's got like cuts all over him. And the mom was like, what did you do? And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, by the way, I was in fourth grade. Fourth grade. So what were they thinking? right? What were they thinking? Letting me be responsible for that dog. But yeah, I remember just thinking, man, I, I had this huge desire to take care of this cat and this dog. And in the end, I failed. Okay. So 
when we think about in our life today, we, we have a lot of people that we care for. We have a lot of different situations that we find ourselves in. And the thing is, like me, with my love for dogs, I had the greatest desire to do it, but I, I didn't do it very well. I didn't care for them very well. And when I think about being a husband or a father, I have the greatest intentions, but sometimes I find myself not caring as well as I want to, as I should. You know, I was telling first service, like, sometimes I feel like my patience for my girls, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, I love them so much, sometimes my patience feels like, like, the, like the ocean. And other times, it's like a thimble. It's like a thimble. And I'm like, man, why did I get so frustrated? Well, I find that I am have every intention to be good and be caring and loving, but sometimes I struggle. Because the truth is, sometimes I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And I don't know if you've been in those situations where you just flat don't know. Well, the cool thing is, the key thing is, is that our God cares perfectly for us every single time. There's not a time in your life or mine that God has not cared exactly as we needed. So today, we want to talk about this idea of how do I know that God cares about me? You see, I have a problem sometimes where what I know about God in my head is, has a bit of a distance between what I experience in my heart. Anyone ever been there before? Like the English call it, uh, you, you may see signs that say, mind the gap. You know, in England, it's talking about the gap between the train station and actually getting on the train. There's a, a separation there. Sometimes there's a separation like that in my life with God. That I, what I, I know is true about God, sometimes there's a bit of a distance between what I am willing to believe and trust about God. Sometimes, maybe for some of us in this room, we experience that gap because some things in our past have caused us to doubt that God really does care for us. And some of us too may be going through something right now where you're thinking, how in the world am I supposed to listen to what this guy says? He has no idea what I'm currently facing in my life. And maybe even some of us, when we think about the future, fears about sickness, fears about finances, fears about family, fears about wondering how am I gonna get through tomorrow cause us to stop and say, does God really care? You know, you say God cares. I'm supposed to read that he cares, but does he really care? Well, today in our message, we're gonna talk about three ways that we know that God cares for me. And we're gonna talk about it in the book of Psalms. So the first way that we know that God cares for each of us is that God knows me completely. God knows you completely. God knows me completely. So why don't we jump in our Bibles to Psalm 139, verses one through six. So let's go there. So either I encourage you to use your phone Bible or bring a paper Bible. We just love for you to fall around because we want you to learn God's word here in our church community. So let me tell, uh, talk a little bit about the background of the book of, uh, excuse me, of Psalm 139. It was written by David. It's right there in the top of your chapter. Uh, we don't know exactly the cultural historical context behind this psalm. Sometimes we know that, and so it helps us to understand that. But in this case, what we're really intended to, to kind of grasp is this psalm is a very personal psalm for David. I would love for you, if you have a pen or you're able to highlight, how many times as we're reading this, David uses the words like I and me. He talks about his own relationship with God in this chapter. It's considered one of the most beautiful psalms, the way it's written, and also one of the most theologically dense chapters in the whole Bible. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. But let's go ahead and let's read together um, verse one. David says this. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise. You, God, perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and, and before, and, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. So, as David is kind of talking in these first six verses, he's reflecting on the knowledge of God. When we talk about the knowledge of God, we're using a theological term called the omniscience of God. Om meaning omni referring to all, or science meaning knowledge, that God has all knowledge. And I want to spend a few moments kind of breaking that down here. So, Charles Ryrie, who wrote a systematic theology book called Basic Theology, he said this, God knows everything, things actual and possible, effortlessly and equally well. So when we talk about the knowledge of God, let's think of it this way. A couple things. Number one, God knows everything all at once. There was never a time when God ever learned anything about you or I. There was never a time when God did not have all knowledge. There's no computing with God. There's never any sense of like, what should I do? What's the best situation, the best scenario? God knows it all immediately at, at uh, right away. I guess right away sounds time, so God's out of time. So God is always known. How about, let's put it that way. There's no, like I mentioned, no computing. Now, I, I mentioned this first service. I got some people that agreed with me. This sounds weird. I don't know if any of you guys do this, but does anyone still use the alphabet song? Does anyone still use the alphabet song? Am I the only one? It's okay. You, you know, you can put your hands. Some of you are like, like this. It's okay. Um, yeah, I still use the alphabet song when I'm trying to, like, as I'm reading through a bibliography or something in the back of a book, you know, A, B, C, D. And then sometimes when you know it's already in the second half, you start at M. Does anyone do that? Or is that just me? Yep. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah, so you start at M. M, N, O, P, Q, R, R before S. Okay, R. Okay, S. Got it. Yeah. There, God doesn't have any of those things. There's never anything that needs to jog his memory. He has it all down. But also, God knows all things possible, both past, present, and future. I'm going to read you a passage from the, from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49, verses 9 through 10. This is what he says. God says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet to, to done. Things not yet done. But the other crazy thing is this, is that God knows everything about me. That he has complete knowledge about everybody in this room. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, that God actually numbers the hairs on our head. That God cares intently that much that he knows even the amount of hairs on our head. He sees us and knows us totally. So in this section... David's actually going to break down three unique ways that God knows him. So why don't we look at that together? So first thing is that God is interested in everything that I do, or God is aware of my actions. Let's look at Psalm 139, verse 1 and 2. He says this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, in other words, David is saying God is always watchful of us. 
That there is never anything that we go through, things that we do in our life, that God is ever A, surprised by, or B, not aware of. He is not too busy running the universe to be paying attention to what I'm going through in my life and what you're going through. Sometimes when I was younger, I used to think God was so busy, he was too busy for me. That's not the case. When I was, uh, yesterday, my, my, uh, my mother is in town and she was helping me watch the girls. My wife is doing a training on, called EMDR, which you've never heard of that. It's so cool. We could talk about that another time. My, my mom and I took my two girls to get some food. And my mom took my daughter, my youngest daughter, Remy, into the store, two years old. And I had my daughter, June, with me. I'm in the front seat, four years old. And my daughter, June, I didn't realize this right away because I was doing something on my phone. I looked down and like she was pressing every single button on the dash. And I started hearing buzzes going off. I didn't even know there were buzzes for certain things. And I realized, okay, phone away. Let's just spend time together. So we were sitting there together and I was just listening to her talk. She loved the music. We were listening to Winnie the Pooh. We were listening to other Disney tracks, all this stuff. And I just saw the joy in her face. And she just loved spending time with me. And as I was sitting there realizing I thought, you know what? That's how God feels too. Is that God enjoys time together with us. When you're driving around in your car, God is sitting right there, co-pilot with you, enjoying that time with you together. When you're doing, the, doing your lawn, you're not just out there doing your lawn by yourself, but God is there with you. And the other cool thing is this, is that God also knows why I do what I do. Look at Psalm 139 verses, we're going to pick up halfway through verse 2 and read part of verse 3. It says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. When we talk about ways, we talk about the motives by which we decide and make decisions with our life. Why do we respond in certain ways? Why is it that when someone gets aggressive, you may find yourself getting even more aggressive? Or why is it that you feel that when you feel anxious about something, when there's uh, an unknown or you feel overlooked, why does anxiety come to the surface? Well, we pay people in our life who are therapists to tell us why. They help us dig and get down deep to try to find out why do I respond in a certain way? Why do I get triggered by certain things? But the truth is God knows us way better than we even know ourselves. God even knows the, the meanings or the, the motives behind which we respond in certain ways. So I have the privilege of um, sitting with and meeting with a couple really phenomenal women in my life who are spiritual directors, spiritual coaches in my life. Uh, I, I was able to sit with someone um, named Teresa. She's Pastor Mike, Mike Quinn's wife, Pastor Teresa. And she said something really interesting to me. She said, Brooks, um, what do you want to grow in? And I said, okay, well, because I'm trying to learn how to be a coach. So she's coaching me. And I said, I want to grow in my prayer life. She said, okay, really? So she started asking me questions about that. And I, and I realized as I was explaining my prayer life is much of my prayer life is spent on a list. Does anyone have lists like prayer lists, right? Sometimes I go to my time in prayer and I go to time with God and it's filled with names. And I'm just like dropping names, like boom, boom, and this guy, and this guy, and this girl, and this girl. And I'm praying for some of you and I'm praying for my family and all this stuff. And then I'll, then I'll get to some scripture and then my time with God is gone. And I said, you know what? I feel like I want to go deeper in my prayer life. So she said, here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you, instead of rushing to read a scripture or rushing to your list, spend 10 minutes in total silence with God. Just spend 10 minutes not moving, not talking. Just get alone with God and just let your heart be open to God. 
And what I found is, as I was doing that, I, I, it's, a, it's a bit of a habit because it's a challenge to do it. I found that like, it, my mind was very noisy, really, really noisy. And I just kept trying to put stuff away, just put stuff away. And then finally, I felt like I started to sense a, a greater awareness of what was going on in my heart. I found like, myself feeling pretty down one day. And I was like, God, why do I feel so down today? And I started to take that feeling and saying, God, what is, what is going on with this? And so I mentioned, I, I actually meet with two great women. And one of the other women uh, who's here this morning, Anne. Uh, Anne is a spiritual coach. She's a writer. Also, she leads one of our life groups called Not Alone for people who experience, uh, for women who have experienced trauma in their life. And one thing she said to me is, I encourage you, Brooks, when you go into prayer and you feel that awareness, that sense of understanding about yourself, turn it and say to God, God, what's up with that? What's up with that feeling? What's up with that awareness? What's up with that knowledge? How come I don't feel you today like I felt you yesterday? Bring it to God in prayer and then see what God does that. Because when we spend that time with God, God begins to give us awareness that he already has about us. You see, and David is realizing that, that you know even my ways, God. And the other thing that David realizes about God's knowledge is that God even knows what I'm going to say before I say it. Isn't that wild? Look at Psalm 139, verse 4. David says this, Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Now, I've been married 13 years, and there's times where uh, I will say something, and my wife will say to me, I knew you were going to say that. Lots of times it's jokes, like really funny dad jokes. I feel like I've, I'm, I'm bringing it, you know, like I've got some really great puns. She just looks at me and she says, I knew you were going to say that. I'm like, it's still funny though, right? It's still funny, right? She doesn't usually laugh, but other times... Uh, I know when we're going through something, I can just look at her and I know what she's thinking before she, and she doesn't even have to say it, you know? And I, I would consider I know my wife better than I know anybody else on the planet. And the wild thing is, is David's reminding us that God knows us even more than that. If you can imagine the closest person you could possibly know, God knows you at a greater degree than that. So much so that he even knows what we're going to say before we say it. That's why, my friends, sometimes when you're in tune and in step with the Spirit, sometimes you're about to say something and something inside you says, don't say that. You don't need to say that. How is that possible that God even knows the words that we are about to say? Well, it's because God has all knowledge, but God has all knowledge of me and of each of us, of you. So, I, as I was kind of writing through this and thinking through this, I asked, well, okay, if God knows everything I'm going to say, then, you know, have the same question, then why should I pray? Anyone ever ask that question? If he already knows, then why should I pray? Well, here's the cool thing that happens in prayer. Is number one, you open yourself up to God and you realize, God, you are God, I am not. Thank you for reminding me just in this moment that I am not God of my life. You are God. Uh, also, prayer invites us into intimacy with God and brings us to a closer degree of, of closeness to him, but also it helps us become more aware of God. Because what I find is even when I have times of prayer, I don't always hear something from God. I don't always get a sense of what he's God's doing in my heart, but later on in the day I do, because I've built a sense of connection with God through prayer. But the other thing that kind of came to my mind I thought was interesting is, have you ever noticed sometimes in the Bible God asks people questions? Have you noticed that? Can you remember in, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve screwed up, right? They ate of the fruit that they should not have eaten. And man, that was a bummer, right? For all of us. That's an understatement, right? What a bummer, right? They like, you know, they, all of a sudden when they ate of the apple, they realized that they were naked, which is really interesting. 
so all of a sudden, when they were naked, they realized they were naked from each other, so they put clothes on. So immediately, sin brought a destruction of intimacy, which I thought was interesting with Adam and Eve. But then they, had, they went and they hid from God. So the intimacy between Adam and Eve was broken from sin, and then it was also broken from God. And so God came to, to walk with them like he normally did, and he says to Adam in uh, Genesis 3, 9, he says, uh, hey, Adam, where are you? That's a good question. Do we think that God doesn't know where Adam is? Adam's probably got his foot poking out from underneath the bushes, right? His clothes probably aren't completely covering everything. It's like, why would you even ask that question, God? Well, it's interesting thing about questions is that a good question can provoke a deep response and a deeper understanding that you didn't have before. So when God was asking Adam that question, God was trying to help Adam become aware of what had happened in their relationship. See, God already knew that the apple had been eaten, that sin had been, ha- had been, had been taken its form in our lives, that, that, that Adam and Eve said that now uh, I decide, I sit on the throne of my life, I'll tell you what is right and wrong. God already knew all that had happened. But he wanted Adam to realize that not only had he caused sin and division between Adam and Eve, but also uh, that there was a relationship, a relationship break between God and Adam. And that happened through the question. So, How do we know that God cares? Number one, God knows everything about me. Number two, God is with me everywhere I go. Number two, God is with me everywhere I go. Let's continue reading in our Bible in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. So don't take my word for it. I encourage you to follow along with me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of the sea, you are there. Interesting. This is a, a, um, a literary term called mirrorism that's happening where David is saying one extreme to the, to the highest you can go. If I could go all the way to the bottom extreme of being in the depths of the ocean, God, you are there too. And then he does another mirrorism where he says this. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I, and notice how many of the eyes. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Okay, so God is everywhere. That's what David has taken away first. God is everywhere. Look at verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You see, at this time, when David wrote this, there were all kinds of gods that were, on, that were worshipped in the world. It wasn't just Jehovah, the one true God. There were gods that were worshipped that were gods of the sun and gods of the soil and gods of the rain. And, and it, they were held to those places. Okay, So they were bound by those particular elements or those loca- locations. And David is blowing all that out of the water and saying, that is not the case with God, the true, real God. When we, when we talk about what David is kind of unpacking here, there's a word for it that theologians use when they reference these particular verses, is that God is omnipresent. That means that God is all places at one time. So I'm going to blow your mind a little bit here, okay? You ready? Can you follow along with me? We're good? We're ready? Let's go. So God is present everywhere, 
but he's not contained to space, matter, and time. God created space, matter, and time. So God exists outside of that. He's not bound by that. But at the same time, he is wholly present within space, matter, and time. And here's what's wild. God is not like just just gigantic God, right? That his whole body fills the universe. Why? Because that would be matter. That would be built in space. God is outside of that. God is spirit. When I was a kid, and if you remember hearing that psalm that like the earth is the footstool of God, in my mind, I used to think that God had a gigantic foot that was sitting on top of the earth. And that must have meant that God was gigantic, like Galacticus, right? You know, the next series of Marvel, what do they call it? Phase five. I think Galacticus is going to be the enemy. Sorry to, you know, to, to burst your bubble if you didn't know that, but I think Galacticus is going to be the next big guy. That's what I used to think about God. So like when we say, God, your presence is with me, literally I used to think his foot was so big, like his toe was in California. So like when I was praying and I felt his presence, it would be like I felt his toe on me when I'm praying, like, oh, your toe comforts me. That's not what David is saying here, okay? God is fully here, fully present, but yet still completely outside. So he is both transcendent beyond matter, time, and space, but also imminent here, close to us. So it's important that we draw a distinction between what we say about um, omnipresence and pantheism, okay? Some of you have heard that term pantheism before. It's it's held by uh, Buddhists, Hindus, and also uh, people that worship the earth, people that are like into like a new age kind of belief system. They believe, okay, that God is Uh, present within all of creation. So in other words, that everything that exists is somehow part of the divine. That's why you hear people talk about, you know, like, hey, you are, you are yourself a God. Well, that's pantheism, thinking that the divine exists inside you. So that's why some people, when they talk about like different animals that are divine or whatever, the rocks, the soil, that's pantheism. Even people use the phrase like our mother earth. How many of you have heard that phrase, mother earth? That's pantheism. That believes that God is within the earth, that the earth is somehow divine because God is inside of that. We do not believe that as Christians. We believe that God is completely outside of time, space, matter. In other words, God is present everywhere, but he is, not, but he is independent of his creation. This is why if the earth and the world didn't exist, God would still exist. That's who he is. So he chooses to be inside and, and be close to us. So here's the truth though. This theological truth of God tells us one thing that's really important. It's that we cannot run from God. There is nothing that you and I can ever do that will allow us to run away from God. If you read the prophet Jonah, Jonah's life is someone that tried to run from God, but, where, but God met him every step of the way. I, like I mentioned, I... I one of my favorite things about being a dad, as I mentioned earlier, is like my girls love to play hide and go seek. And they do the whole, like sometimes they do this, right? Where you put your face through and then they're like hiding, but you can still see them. But one of the things I love the most is when I come home from work, I hear giggling, the door opens, and then I see them jump on the couch and put a blanket over themselves. 
And then they say, my, my wife will say, hey, Dada, where's Junie and Remy? And I'll say, oh, I don't know. Where's Junie and Remy? And then we just walk around and I check places that I know that they're not. And then eventually, after about five minutes of giggling and laughing, I see their little feet hanging out from behind the blanket and I grab it. I say, oh, I found you. And they're like, you found me. How did you find me? And I realize, well, it's because I could see your feet, but that's okay. I didn't say that. You need to get better at this, is what I tell them. Listen, you're really stinking it up at this. Um, but the truth is that we play hide-and-go-seek even still to this day as adults. That we can hide, or at least we think we hide, we can hide from God. We can hide from our spouses. We can hide from our friends, how we're actually doing. And that's one of the beauties of being in a life group is that you don't have to hide. That's why I love, one of the reasons why I love life groups. Like, I, I love that we can feel open and honest and be able to share and not feel like we have to hide away who we are. And when we think about this idea, God is inviting us to quit running, quit hiding, and just accept that God loves us. You know, um, a friend of mine, I was sharing with her about this. Her name is Betsy. She's an amazing woman of God. Uh, She's been in my life for a long time. I told her about this, and she said, you know, I've been thinking about David, and I've been processing David's heart, and One thing that stands out to me in this passage is that David recognizes that God knows him completely, that there's nothing that God does not know about David, and yet he still loves David and still cares for David. So if God knows everything about you and I, and he still loves us, then why do we have to hide? He already sees it all, and his love is trying to draw us in to have him help bring us closer to him. So that means I can let down my guard with God. I can stop striving to try to earn his love because it's given to me freely. God, that's just who he is. So not only is God everywhere, but also God never leaves my side. He says that here. And let's look at verse 10. So even there, he's talking about even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It's this idea that God is not only everywhere, but God is very personally intent on being beside me, that his right hand will hold me fast. So God is with us every place we go. You know, some of us, we have doctor's appointments that we go to, and we're really nervous about those. And we we always want someone there with us. Why? Because it gives us comfort to know we're not by ourselves. But here's the truth. Even if you go by yourself, you're not alone. Because God goes with each of us, to every single doctor's appointment. God goes with us to every job interview, to every hard meeting, to every time we are afraid, God is there with us. And the crazy thing is God is there with us at the very beginning of our birth all the way till, the, till we are uh, about to turn and pass into eternity. David says that in Psalm 23, he talks a lot about God being with him. In my men's group, we're gonna be studying Psalm 23 this summer. And one of the things he says that, that even in the shadow of death, you're, you are there with me. Your right hand comforts me and strengthens me. So even at the very point of death, God's presence is there with us. And then David says he guides and protects us and provides for us. So I like it kind of how, how Paul wrote it. So if you can, I just want you to look at this passage. You can write it down if you want to look at it later. It's a very familiar passage to us. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul understands this idea of the very personal presence of God in this way. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons. So whatever you may be facing in your life, even if you feel in some sort of demonic attack, demonic manifestation in your life, that nothing can separate you, even that, from God's love. Nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, the crazy thing is, Paul wrote this, but Paul was also the same guy, check it out, that in Acts chapter 16 was thrown in jail with his friend Silas. They were beaten, they were thrown in jail, and they were there in this rut, in this dark place. And Acts 16 tells us that when Paul and Silas were in jail, they actually had a worship service. They were in there worshiping God, chained up, and they were worshiping God. So much so, which this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, if you were to read Acts 16, one of the reasons why I really believe that God allowed them to go to that jail is because it says that the prisoners were listening to them worshiping God. So it tells me that God cares a whole lot about those prisoners too. And then it says that one of the jailers himself came and actually got saved through Paul and Silas being in jail. So here's the trippy, just blows my mind thing is that the jail was designed to keep Paul and Silas in. But what Paul and Silas knew about God is that there's nothing that can keep God out. That there's nothing that will ever be able to keep God out of his presence in your life. There's nothing that will ever be able to separate us from God's love. You know, um, monster trucks. How many of you went to the monster truck rally this year? Anybody here? Oh, you're missing out. Okay, okay, here we go, a couple. Okay, I love it. When I was a kid, I, I had heard about the monster trucks. I was never even into motocross, but for some reason, the monster truck got me. I mean, how could you not be just overwhelmed by this? You know, how could you not want to be there? So I remember as a kid, I kept asking my dad over and over and over, can we please go to the monster truck rally? Can we please go to the monster truck rally? And after I felt like years of asking, probably it was just a couple days, he said, sure, let's go. So he and I went to the monster truck rally and man, it was like the sounds were so loud. I had to wear earplugs because it was so loud and the motocross and then seeing a uh, grave digger like and the lights turn off and everyone's like, oh man, that guy's the best. And I just remember just being overwhelmed by everything. And it was incredible. Obviously, I'm still talking about it till today, right? It's incredible. And I felt so like, I don't know why, for some reason, I felt like I was like becoming a man that night. I don't know why. It's a weird feeling, but I actually turned to my dad and I say, hey dad, I got to go to the bathroom. And he's like, okay. And I said, I'm going to go by myself. And he said, really? And I said, I'm going to go by myself. So he said, okay, son. So I got up. I walked up. It was at Qualcomm Stadium, a.k.a. Jack Murphy Stadium, and it's no longer existing. Now it's like Snap, Snapdragon. I don't know. It's Snapdragon. And I remember walking out, going to the bathroom, coming back, and looking around and not recognizing anything around me. I remember like trying to walk. Do you remember Jack Murphy Stadium? You just walk down those really deep aisles, right? I remember walking down and seeing a bunch of people I did not recognize. And I started to freak out. I started to panic. I started to be like, oh my gosh, I am lost. What am I going to do? I felt, you know, when you feel that real sense of dread, it like kind of creeps up on you. It was like creeping up on me. And I, I didn't know what to do. And out of, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I felt his hand on my shoulder. And I looked up and my dad was standing right behind me. And my dad said to me, son, I was with you the whole time. And when I think about that, 
he was, I actually, my dad actually texted me between services and he said, Brooks, I, I forgot about that story, but he said, I wanted you to know that I was with you. As soon as you turned your back, I was with you. I was right now, I was close behind you, just so far enough to you couldn't see me because I wanted you to have that independence, but you were never in danger. You may have felt you're in danger, you may have thought you're in danger, but my presence was always close by you. And when I think about God, that is the same way with God. That we may feel that we have been left. We may feel that we've been abandoned. We may feel like we've run away from God. But the truth is that God's presence is here. God has never left you. He's never abandoned you. God desires for you to know that this morning. As I was writing about that, I was thinking, you know, maybe a good prayer for us today before we leave here is just God I want to feel your presence. I want to know you're close to me. I don't want it just to remain in my head. I want it to be in my heart, God, that you are there, that you've always been there. If anybody feels like you can't find your way back this morning, maybe God has an invitation for you this morning. It's just a a prayer and a turn, and God is right there, never left us. So not only does, does God promise us that he knows us and that, his, that he's with us everywhere he goes. There's also one more thing that David wants us to know about God that helps us to know that God truly cares for us. And that's that God designed you and me and values us greatly. God designed each of us and values us greatly. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. Let's read together. He says, God, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He says this about about us, about each one of us this morning. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am with you. When we think about our lives, God wants to remind us. Let's just highlight a couple of verses of that really quick. In verse 13, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This passage is one of the most important passages for us as Christians that highlights the, that life begins at conception. How do we know that? That God created us and that God uh, knit us and that God has a plan for us from the beginning, from the get-go. That you and I are not an accident. You and I have been fearfully and wonderfully designed and made by God. That God has a plan for every single one of us all of our days. God knows how many days we will be on this planet. We don't. God does. He designed us on purpose for a purpose. And our lives mean a heck of a lot to God. They're very valuable. I want to conclude with just a couple more thoughts here. Um, I want to tell you a story. There's a story about a man who is dying. And his son, you may have seen this story, his, 
his son was very important to him. And he said to his son, hey, son, I, I have something I want to give to you. So he handed his son this watch. And the son looked at the watch and was like, mm, okay, thank you very much. And he said, I want you to take this watch and I want you to go down to the jewelry store and see how much they'll give you for it. So he goes down to the jewelry store. The guy looks at the watch, kind of turns around. And he says, you know, what? I'll give you $150 for this watch. It's kind of old. doesn't look that great. I'll give you 150 bucks. So the guy goes back to his father and he tells him, his dad said, okay, I want you to, to go down to the pawn shop and see how much they'll give you for this watch. So he walks down to the pawn shop, hands over the watch, and the guy looks at it and he says, man, this thing is a piece of junk. Look at all the rust all over this thing. Looks awful. I'll give you $10 for this watch. He's like, $10? I just got a $150 offer up the street. I'll give you $10. So he said, okay. So he goes back to his dad and he says, okay, I want you to go one more place. And he walks down. He says, I want you to go down to the museum and I want you to talk to somebody there. So he brings the watch down to the museum and the curator looks at it and he like turns it around and he's in awe. He's in total awe of this watch. And he says, wow, I have never held one of these watches before. He said, I'll give you $500,000 for this watch. This watch is very rare. You have no idea how valuable it is. And the son was just thrilled, right? Just thrilled. He marched back up to his dad and he told him what the dad said. And the dad said this to him. I think it's really helpful. He says, listen, the right place will value you the right way. Don't find yourself in the wrong place and get angry if you're not valued. See, those that know your value are those who will truly appreciate you. When we think about the way that God values you and versus the way that the world values you, they're two dramatic differences. See, the world says, listen, I need you to give me a lot of work. I need you to put a lot of hours in. I need you to work so hard that even if your family is impacted from it, I don't care because I need that work done. And you are valuable to that company because of what you give them. Some of us in here feel valuable because we're beautiful and we're young and vibrant and strong. You feel value is given to you because you had to work for that. And others in here may find that we are pretty well-to-do. We wear nice clothes, got a nice bank, great retirement. We take nice trips. People look at you like you're valuable. You sit in first class, you get the looks. Yeah, you're right, I'm valuable. I got the money. What happens when all that goes away? What happens when the stock market crashes? What happens when you're not young anymore and not beautiful anymore? What happens when you can't earn your value? Does that mean you have no value? Well, that's how the world is. What about God? You see, God, on the other hand, God says to you, you don't have to earn my value. I want you to receive my value. You are valuable because I made you. You think about all that David said in Psalm 139. He said, listen, I think about you all the time. I know you so well. God says, hey, listen, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. I did not make a single accident in your life. You don't have to earn this. It's just the way that I feel about you. God says, you know what? There's never a place that I would rather be than be right by your side because I love you that much. Some of us in here feel broken and used and burned out. 
There is nothing that God would rather do than to resurrect your life, to remind you this morning that I love you no matter what. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That I am confident that me, the one that began the good work in you, will complete it until the day of redemption. You are wonderful to me. And my hand is always on your life. Why don't we just take a few moments just in prayer. Just close your eyes. I'm just going to share something over your life and I just want you to let it soak in, okay? Your value is not based upon what you do. Your value is not based on how much money you have, on the color of your skin, of your sexuality. Your identity cannot be found in any of that. You are valuable because you are a child of God that God thinks very precious thoughts about you. You are created in his image for his purposes and he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And that there's nothing that you can ever do that will change that. Just receive that this morning. Take some time just in prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer. Some of us this morning have been told lies about us. We've been told lies that we don't deserve it, Lord. That we got to earn it. That there's no way that you can love somebody like me. Those are all lies, God. Thank you for setting setting us straight this morning, God. That you cannot love us any more than you love us right now. That you have never left us, God. You've always been by our side that your right hand, it holds us, Lord. God, that you will go with us no matter where we go, that you will face the trials and the struggles that we face, Lord, that you will face it with us, God. I pray that you just help us to walk out of here, Lord, to sense and to know that we are truly and deeply loved and accepted by you, God. And the degree by which we know that is the degree by which we can be free. We can be free to just be loved, God. Thank you, Lord, so much for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.